At the end of April, I was invited to lead a retreat for the Daughters of the King at Cathedral Ridge. And it was a wonderful weekend of prayer and singing and fellowship and learning, learning about God and learning about each other. And the theme of the weekend, I did not make it up. The basis for all of my teaching and all of our discussion was from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. We know I didn't make this up because I can't offer much on the be still part. Stillness is not my strong suit. So we spent a lot of time exploring how we know God. Scripture, yes. Teaching, yes. Creation, yes. Especially here in Colorado. Prayer, Yes, all of these are assuredly ways of knowing God. The daughters were in small groups discussing questions and conversation prompts that I had given them. And as I walked around and eavesdropped with their permission, I heard wonderful and rich conversation. But I realized that a lot of what I was hearing was them sharing what they had observed about God, it was how they knew God from a bit of a distance, and how they saw God moving in the lives of others. But to really, really know someone, we must allow ourselves to experience them, right? So we talked about how we know people, Someone can tell you all about a person, how wonderful and warm and kind they are, but you don't know them. And you certainly can't say you have a relationship with them. Relationships are not secondhand. I mean, I can read all about celebrities in People Magazine and follow them on Instagram, but that will never make them my friend. We know things about them, but we do not know them. So I think thinking about how we know people helps us think about how we know God. Fellowship, conversation, time spent together, interaction. It can be a bit scary to speak of our experiences of God and the ways that we have seen and felt God show up in our lives, especially if God has turned our lives upside down. So then there was a shift in the discussion, a trust to share some of how we had personally experienced God through healings, through death, through miraculous changes in circumstance, unmerited forgiveness, or experiencing that peace that passes all understanding, even in the midst of chaos. These are all ways of experiencing and knowing because they are all personal. 
And these can be scary stories to share. They make us feel vulnerable. And Lord knows, as Episcopalians, we like to think of ourselves as intellectual and rational Christians. So I've been pondering this all week as I've wrestled with today's gospel lesson. To back up a few verses and add context, which is always a good thing in Scripture, Jesus sets out on the lake with his disciples, and he falls asleep while they are sailing. A storm comes up, and the boat takes on water. The disciples awaken the sleeping Jesus in a panic. <clears throat> they declare that they are perishing. And Jesus gets up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Luke goes on to say that this experience of Jesus left the disciples terrified and amazed, and they said to one another, who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And this is the exact point where we enter today's lesson. They're coming ashore after this experience. And the disciples are asking each other, who is Jesus? After seeing him tame nature itself. When Sam Pertaro was with us during Lent, he talked of the cinematic nature of Luke's gospel, the special effects and the heightened drama compared to some of the other gospels. I think this is a great example of that. Fresh off a tamed tempest, Jesus steps onto the shore his only time in Gentile territory in this gospel. So those of you confused about the pigs, there you have it. <laughs> to a scene straight out of a movie. A demon-possessed man who has superhuman strength, enabling him to break free from shackles and chains. However, he is only free to wander among the unclean tombs of the dead and the unclean herds of swine, wearing nothing and possessed by not just one demon, but according to his name, Legion. Legion. And now, a legion was a Roman military designation for 6,000 troops. 6,000 hostile occupiers. And even if this name is Hollywood-esque hyperbole, it makes a point. And this would not have been lost on Luke's original audience. My friends, I think there is added tragedy in this story that the man's affliction has robbed him of his name of his very identity. I'm reminded of my time with the ill who would prefer to say, I am a person living with cancer. Or our attempt to humanize some of our neighbors as people 
experiencing homelessness or the movement to say their name when people have died by unjust violence so that humans are not diminished to statistics or labels or categories, addictions or afflictions. We should always try to restore humanity. We are always more than what ails us. But Legion has lost his identity to his affliction, and Jesus restores it because that is what Jesus does. The demons are driven out of the man into a herd of swine that then plunge themselves into the lake. This is nothing less than a cosmic spiritual battle with tombs, an abyss, demons, and a miraculous healing. It is Hollywood-worthy indeed. Luke doesn't share with us how the disciples responded to all of this. They're not mentioned at all. But we do know how the man responds and the city and country folk who hear from the swine herds. Luke tells us when the swine herds saw what had happened, they ran off and told in the city and in the country. And we're not exactly sure what they were told. Was it a complaint from the swine herds that their livelihood had just been destroyed? Was it that the outcast was now truly free? Was it that there was a sorcerer in their midst or that God was truly present in this man, Jesus? We don't know how they shared their experience, but it brought people running. Both the city and the country folk, they saw for themselves that the possessed man was now clean, clothed, and calm, sitting at Jesus' feet. And their response to this experience, they were afraid. They were afraid, and they asked Jesus to leave. I love that godly play question. I wonder where you are in this story and what part of this story is about you. And that may seem like a ridiculous question in the face of this wild story, but stick with me. Are you the man who has lost his name and is identified only by his affliction? Are you the man who has been returned to wholeness, free to inhabit your full humanity? Are you the people who are so afraid of having their lives changed that they ask Jesus to leave? Are you the man who cannot help but proclaim after your experience of God how much Jesus has done for you. Notice that several of these are the same individual. 
but they represent different responses. I would venture that as fantastic as this story is, we are all present in all parts of this story at one time or another in our lives. Like my time with the daughters, I ask you, how do you know God? What is your personal experience of the divine? Where has God met you and changed your life? Maybe even restored your name? And how have you shared this knowing, this experience? I wonder where you are in this story and what part of the story is about you.